What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Gastroenteritis Blues. My name is Steve Lipman, joined, as always, by Emily Cannell and Dan Volpone. My first question is for Emily. Emily, what's your favorite vegetable? Ooh, interesting. And how um, do you like it prepared? Hmm. I think if I had to pick, like, because the tomato isn't a vegetable, right? It's a fruit. I guess not. But so I can't can. pick that. Otherwise, I would pick a tomato with mayonnaise what, on it. I do like tomatoes. Just like a raw tomato with mayonnaise on it. You like a cherry tomato? Or a big tomato sliced up and I dip it in mayonnaise. And I a beef it. steak. I, I get yeah. the mayonnaise part of it. I think we got it. The mayonnaise. is it's Mayonnaise. It's the most important <laughs> part. But if, I, if a tomato is not a vegetable, then I pick a cucumber dipped in ranch dressing. Wow. Okay. Lots of dipping. Dan, give me your favorite vegetable. So all the vegetables that I like aren't really vegetables as well. Like tomato. I like peppers. They're apparently fruits. I like corn. That's a grain. If I had to pick a real vegetable, I would say possibly spinach. Mm. Although maybe a sweet potato because I love a good sweet potato fry. Love a sweet potato. Little something about me. Every morning, this is what I have for breakfast every morning. I have a taco, and on it goes uh, egg whites, scrambled egg whites, sweet potato chunks, and sriracha. That's it, every morning. And I have a half grapefruit on the side. Do you oh, make sweet potatoes or buy them, like, pre-made? Like, they take a while to cook. At the beginning of the week, I make a whole Tupperware worth. And then I, I parse them out throughout the week. Gotcha. Makes sense. You know, and I, I learned this on TikTok, actually, from, I think, uh, I think Hank, you know who Hank Green is? He's one of those the two brothers, and he's one of them. And that's oh. how I learned that a potato is not a vegetable, which I think I knew, but I, a sweet potato is. And I didn't know that. And that's why I feel very comfortable about that being my answer. So what's a potato? A fruit? Oh, a potato is something else, but I forget. It's just like, it's really late on a Sunday and I can't tell you what it is, but it is, um, I'll Google it. All right, great. Well, while you're looking that up, um, the Sixers are first in the East. The season is now over officially as tonight. What a fun game. Google says it's a vegetable. This is tough. People are on the edge of their seats listening to this potato discourse. Um, 
we can start with a few things from tonight, which is just such a fun game. I loved every second of it. It was absolutely no stress. Uh, and it was just the Sixers uh, bench guys. You know, the, the entire starting lineup and Matisse Leibel got the night off. And uh, many of the key bench guys didn't play in the fourth quarter. Uh, I loved it. I had a great time. Ray John Tucker, B-Ball Paul, friend of the podcast, um, Isaiah Joe. Emily, uh, I, I imagine you loved what happened tonight. As the Sixers, by the way, beat the Magic uh, to secure their 49th win. I I did love what happened tonight. I was hoping that I would be psychic before the game. I said, I can't wait for a Maxi to put up 40. And for a while, it looked like Maxi was going to put up 40. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, I'm psychic. I'm just going to start saying like 12 more games for the Sixers until they win the title. But then he only put up 30 because Doc rested him, it seems. So we're because he's going to get some run in the playoffs. So we've got to rest Maxi. Got to save all that juice for the playoffs. Yeah. Dan, uh, I, did you enjoy the festivities tonight? And did it make you miss the process at all? Because that it gave me that feeling. Well, I, um, I missed most of the game. I was at dinner sitting outside, of course, although vaccinated now. But I was at an outdoor dinner with a friend from high school. But I did catch most of the fourth, and it was lovely. I love watching B-Ball Paul play and not in like an, you know, he was on the pod way or even in like an ironic, like I loved watching Jakar Sampson before he got like, he's actually like got pretty decent and was good for a while, but he like, you know, the Sixers process guys. No, like, I think he's really good. He's really fun to watch. Um, so always love to see his minutes. The process was fun in a very different way yeah. in a much less actual fun way. Um, so no, I don't miss it as, as nice as this game was. It's really nice to, what was our winning percentage? It was like high 600s or something. Yeah. I think that's a lot better than 10 and 72. That's just me. But I thought that it was a great year and nothing about it has made me wish we were terrible again. <laughs> I agree with you. And really, the best part about tonight is that the Sixers starters were all sitting there on the bench knowing they're the one seed and having home court throughout the East, throughout the East Eastern playoffs. I'm drunk on nasal spray right now. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, it's very exciting and I was very happy to watch it all happen. Let me just get your feelings overall. This was sort of a up and down week because at first Sixers lost to Indiana, then they got sort of the shit kicked out of them by Miami. And it was like, oh boy, we're definitely going to play Miami in the second round. And that's not going to be fun. Um, now they're not going to, you know, Miami is the sixth seed. The Sixers would not be able to see them until a potential Eastern conference, uh, final matchup. Sixers got the one seed. They beat Orlando uh, on Friday night to secure that. And then Sunday night, of course, they just won again in a sort of mop-up game. How do you guys feel? It feels like things have really changed from Miami, from the Miami game to now, and everybody seems to be feeling good about where the Sixers are at. Uh, Dan, so how do you feel? I mean, I I think I feel about the same as I felt after the Miami game, which is that I don't think I – freaked out about the Miami game. Um, It was terrible to watch, just horrible, hated that game. But I still feel about the same about the Sixers as I've kind of felt most of the year. I think that, you know, I was low on them at the beginning and I pretty quickly liked what I saw from this team. Um, I love that they have the one seed. I love that the Knicks won today. And I know we'll, you know, we'll get into this a bit deeper later, but the fact that, you know, our path to the finals is whoever gets the eight seed, and then Knicks or Hawks. 
or to the conference finals. I'm sorry. Right. Um, I think that that's a huge advantage. We haven't made the conference finals yet with this um, core and the, the fact that that's, you know, I don't want to jinx anything or make any guarantees, but the fact that the path there is looking like, a, like, you know, the Sixers have a way above 50% chance to get there. You know, they should be, it would be a big disappointment if they didn't. That's super exciting. You know, I, th- I still think Brooklyn is insanely tough and I still think Milwaukee is, is tough as well. You know, whoever we have to face, but you know, it's great experience to be there and anything can happen when you get there. The Sixers are a great team. They could, they could, you know, surprise me and win the series and we could be, you know, celebrating the entire summer and it would be fantastic. And even if not, it would be great experience for this group who looks like they have a lot going to, you know, play in these bigger games than they've played in the past. They've never made it to the conference finals. Um, It'll be a great test and it should be a lot of fun. I feel great about the season now. Um, Emily, I want to get your overall thoughts on the season, but first I want to get you to react to a tweet, which you love doing. So this is from Lauren Rosen, who works with Sixers. Uh, When Isaiah Joe hits a three, Sixers PA announcer extraordinaire Matt Cord now says, that's a cup of Joe. What do you think of that? I think that's incredible. Okay. I like it a lot. I like that. <laughs> so I just think of him like, I think Isaiah Joe wears a robe and I just picture him like in the morning when he gets out of bed, like, like drinking his coffee. He probably has such a nice time. I love it. It's wholesome. I love it. It's great. Yeah. So uh, on the whole season, how do you feel? And how, how was this week up and down for you at all? Or were you pretty much keeping the faith no matter what? I mean, I didn't have any doubt that we were going to get the one seed. Did it suck to lose to the Pacers in the heat? Yeah. I didn't want to lose to the Pacers in the heat, but I wasn't like panicking after the game. Um, And then tonight's game, it was just, we, I'm just like on a high kind of tonight's game was so fun. It goes to show like how really how like well our, our draft went this year. I think I saw, I think a tweet like all of our our picks this year turned into somehow like Seth Curry, Danny Green, Isaiah Joe, Maxi, and B-Ball Paul. Like that's mm, I think great. that was Sixers Adam. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love all of them. And that's the best draft outcome that we've had collectively. Like obviously, like Joel as a whole is probably mm-hmm. better than all of that, but like cumulatively, I guess this is what I'm looking for. It's the best draft hall we've gotten as long as I've been a fan, probably like paying attention to the team. So that was just heartening to see that we have like competent people in the front office and we're doing so well right now. And I have faith that we can keep it going for once. It's great. It's great. I, I feel great. The Miami game really, really sucked. Um, I want to talk about it. Yeah, neither do I. Jimmy Butler is so spiteful and he is powerful. And I think he might be from another planet, but I just like, I do think the Sixers are better than the Heat. I think that the Sixers would ultimately win that series, but I think it would be such a pain in the ass to deal with uh, for however many games it went. So I'm just happy to not have to like be sweating about that series. Not that, you know, I was too worried about them beating us, but I think it would have just been tough. Uh, So the Sixers won on Friday, clinched the number one seed. Uh, I want to read some Embiid quotes 
to you and get your immediate reaction, Dan. And by immediate, I mean, these came out three days ago. <laughs> Joel said, as good as we've been in the regular season, I think we're going to be even better in the playoffs. We have a goal and we think we can accomplish, accomplish it. So everyone's going to be ready. I think our defense is going to be even better. We got a long way to go. Now is the time to really lock in and go win the whole thing. Uh, what do you think, Dan? Are the Sixers, you know, it sounds like things are honestly the most underrated storyline is that everybody is healthy as we start the playoffs. So how do you feel? Yeah, I mean, if I'm being you know completely honest, my first thought about the Sixers team wouldn't be built for the playoffs more than the regular season. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just because, you know, we've and of course, guys get better. Guys figure things out in the playoffs. We've had you know, guys who, you know, were really young the last time we played a fully healthy series in the playoffs. Um, but I do think that, you know, some of my concern coming into this year about the team was that, you know, Ben has struggled in the playoffs. Tobias has been complete ass in the playoffs. And Doc in the playoffs pretty recently has had some bad series losses. You know, he's blown, I think, three, three to one leads in his career. So, um that's been, you know, one of my big concerns with this team, not like I think about it every day kind of concern, just like, you know, in the future, as we get to the playoffs, that has, you know, always been something I thought about, but I mean, things change. This team seems to really be, you know, clicking and they're, they have a lot of talent. You know what I mean? It's not like, um, it's not like you're looking at, you know, the 60 win Hawks who were like, you know, had, uh, you know, five guys share player of the month because they didn't have a real all-star or anything like that. You know, we have a superstar center. We have, you know, two borderline all-stars, one who made the team, one didn't both, you know, right around the, the fringes of the all-star game and Ben and Tobias, who are both very, very good. And I think, you know, the rest of our rotation is filled with solid players, assuming that Mike Scott's not getting playoff minutes you know, fingers crossed. I feel good about every player who could possibly be in the rotation, no matter who it ends up being. So, you know, this could be the year. Everyone feels great. I, I mean, Joel says this all the time. He's admittedly so. He said it in, uh, you know, in the in interview with Ramona Shelburne. He said it about 2019. Um, but he should feel that way. I would be worried if he didn't feel that way. He should always feel like they could win. This team should feel like they can win. Um, they had a great year and they should be confident in themselves. So. Um, I, you know, it wouldn't be my first thought about this team that they're built for the playoffs more so than they are for the regular season. But I mean, what do I know? They're really feeling it right now. And I would love to see it. I mean, maybe, maybe they are, their defense is really important in the playoffs and they have a great defense. So, you know, if that, if that is something that, 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 you know, they're playing Matisse a lot and, and Ben is locking everybody down and Joel's stopping everybody inside, then yeah, maybe they are. And that would be awesome because that would, that's really their only chance. I mean, they have to be playing their best ball right now. So I would love to see it. So uh, another thing that happened in Joel's post-game press conference from Friday um, was that Joel was getting up from the press conference. Daryl Morey was standing there and he said, Daryl Morey was basically like, give him a trust the process. Joel says, trust the process. Then he says, Sam Hinkie knew. Uh, the Sixers just so happened to clinch the number one seed in the Eastern Conference on the eight-year anniversary of the Sixers hiring Sam Hinkie. So there's something poetic about that. And also last week, uh, Daryl Morey wrote on Twitter that he would like to get Sam Hinkie to ring the bell 
any Sixers game. So I'd like uh, both of your reactions, starting with Emily, to all of this sort of hinky poetry and serendipity. And uh, do you think that his good friend Daryl Morey could get him to actually come to a Sixers game and bang the bell three times? What do you think? I would love it so much. I don't think it will happen. I think that there is a man named Josh Harris who would not let it happen. Mm. Um, and that who signs Daryl Morey's paychecks and therefore therein lies the problem. Mm. Um, but I love it. I love Joel shouting out Sam Hinkie. I love the fact that when the Sixers tweeted out the clip, they cut that out and left the trust the process they did, in there. They cut it right out. Which was amazing. But like, I think NBC Sports Philly had the whole thing up. So that was fine. Um, it's just like subtle shade, but it's like, we all know what actually happened. So right. um, I loved it. I also loved, like, I feel like Daryl is like kind of like a covert, covert agent. Like the fact that, he's even talking about Sam Hinkie while he's like working in the, for the front office that ousted him in particularly. I love that he really likes it, that Sixers fans yell sucks at the opposing teams. Did you see that tweet where he I was did. like, I yeah. can't wait to see who sucks the most. This is my favorite thing ever. Um, he's just a great addition. He kind of seems out of left field. I love him. I love everything about it. You know, Daryl Morey has the confidence of someone who knows that Josh Harris has to pay him like $12 million a year for five years, no matter what. So like, and you know, his legacy in the league is pretty solid. Like, you know, he's got, he's done a lot before he came here and uh, I love having him here. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And also like, they're not going to fire him. He just built a team that got the Sixers, the one seed. So like he can do whatever he wants. They're not going to fire him. Right. Honestly, part of me wonders if Daryl would even win the sort of arm wrestling match to get Hinky okayed to do it. But if Sam would just be like, oh, there's absolutely no way I'm doing that. If Sam would just be like, I'm not doing like this photo op. He's not exactly media friendly. Um, If they can't get Sam, I think they should probably have us. Um, Just we might not be available either, but we'll see. Basically the same thing. Dan, uh, what do you think about the Hinky stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of people's, you know, besides the fact that Daryl's a great GM, one of the things people love the most about him is that Hinky started under Daryl. Daryl's always supported Sam. Um, I do think that it might be, I think there's some things going in his favor in, in the sense that maybe it could happen. I think that, you know, I think that Daryl would obviously call up Sam and say, hey, you should do this. I think Joel would do it too, though. And I think that, Joel right. asking asking for something like that probably means a lot. Um, I agree that Sam is not really the type of guy who would want to do a photo op, and I don't see him jumping all over that. I see him maybe <laughs> doing, you know, at best doing it, um, you know, as just, you know, they've been on my back. I'll fine, I'll do it, you know. Um, but I kind of think that Josh Harris would maybe not be the big issue with it. Um, I know we love to hate on Josh Harris. Uh, I do too. Um, but I actually do kind of get the sense that he regrets having Sam leave regrets, you know, his actions that led to Sam leaving. I don't think that he is under any impression 
that he's blameless in that situation or that they're better off without Sam. I think he's, that's kind of clear by hiring the guy who, you know, Sam basically came up under and is very respected by and still close with. Right. Um, a lot of people thought that the Mori hire was like a subtle, we fucked up. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, I think, yeah. I think it clearly was right. Like the last few years have been a disaster and that's not even, you know, that's, that's just put bluntly. I think it's just true. Like last year was the culmination of a lot of terrible decisions coming together. Right. And, 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 you know, to Harris is somewhat credit. I mean, he deserves blame for it happening. He owns the team, but he called it out after last season. He said, you know, we messed up and we need to be better. We need to do a better job. And I mean, he's never going to say Sam's name. He's never going to say, we wish we still had Sam. I mean, that'd be ridiculous. That'd be weird. But I think he thinks it. I think that the, the how hard they went after Maury and how much money they gave him shows it. So I think that there's still some respect there. Sam has been, you know, he's, he's has never spoke negatively about the team. He was did ESPN daily with Pablo and he said he still follows the team a bit and he roots for the guys on the team. So um, I think that... It's not impossible. I don't think it's likely, but I do think there are some factors that could, you know, maybe swing it to happen, especially like a call from Joel. And I don't think Harris would like, I don't think he'd stop it. So, right. Um, the other thing that I think that the uh, Maury hire definitely was, was an admission by Harris and, and the rest of the owners that they need to step back from the meddling that they had been doing with the Elton brand situation and the way that they had you know, a lot of sway because they basically hand the franchise decisions over to Daryl, um, which I think needed to happen. And I'm very glad that it did. Emily, you have been scouring the internet for post-game quotes. Uh, would you like to share with the listeners what you've found most recently? I would. So a lot of these quotes um, are by our best friend, friend of the podcast, Paul Reed. And he was on the post-game interview I guess they call it post-game press conference and reflecting so this is from Kyle Newbeck so he said Paul Reed reflecting on having a rookie season as part of the number one team in the east where he was both the G League MVP and an end of bench guy he said I know I'm good and stuff but still stay humble you know trust the process TTP come on which is as Sean O'Connor said, just incredible pandering. We are very pro pandering on this podcast. We love it and support mm -hmm. it. And then Paul ended his podium session by saying, thanks for having me, making me feel special. What? Are you kidding me? No, I didn't know. That's how he ended he his session. That? Yeah. That's, um, that makes me want to cry. Oh my I, God. I love well, it. He was very, he was very, um, like thankful for, for us for having him when we had him he on the was. pod and we were like so thrilled that he was he was here and took the time to talk to us. It was crazy. He was thanking us. I know. He was thanking us. We were like, Paul, we suck at this. What do you do? Thank you. <laughs> we worked really hard to get you here. I we know. Really I love him. And that's uh, that's we're going to get to uh, towards the end of the pub. We're going to get to grading all the Sixers, but um, we'll see what kind of grade we give B-Ball Paul. You know, time will tell. Um, you know, the Sixers clinched home court throughout the Eastern playoffs, which is giant because the Sixers are incredible at home. Um, this is from Josh Schrager. Uh, he said that the Sixers are 94, now 95 and 14 since January 1st, 2018 at the Wells Fargo Center in the regular season 
when Joel Embiid plays. Obviously, Joel Embiid is not playing sort of screwed anyway. So I think this is a valuable stat that the Sixers have an uh, 870 win percentage at home um, when Embiid is on the court. I think it's huge. I think it's like, you know, if, if you want to look forward to a, you know, a Knicks series or to, you know, whoever they're going to play in the first round, which we'll talk about. Um, but of course, then it's a, a Brooklyn or Milwaukee series. And if you think that, you know, it's pretty giant that the first two games would be at home and a potential game seven would also be at home. Uh, I, I think that that is maybe slightly overlooked in its importance because um, a lot of people have talked about like the way the bracket has broken down, but I think the way that the Sixers can have more home games than away games is really giant. Um, Emily, do you agree um, with that? And, and how big a factor do you think having a home series could be? I think having home court is huge. Just those numbers. We've been so good at home and it's been more even this year, but last year, the disparity between home and away was ginormous and almost like laughable, unbelievable, et cetera, whatever you want to call it. So being able to have the majority of games through the East at home is going to be huge for us. I'm all for it. Yeah. Dan, do you agree that it's a pretty big factor? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's important, of course, because of, you know, how well they've played at home. I also think that, especially in the playoffs, road games are so tough. Um, so, you know, for the Sixers having fewer and the other team having to play in Philly more, obviously, um, even if it's just that extra game in a close series, it, it is a big deal. Um, I mean, this is an example that won't matter this year, but I feel like every game in Boston in the playoffs, you're basically guaranteed to get a terrible whistle, you know, like the Celtics are going to get the calls. Um, it drives me nuts. Maybe, maybe people feel that way about, you know, having to play in Philly. I don't know because I'm just happy every time we get a call, but um, you know, it's, it's a big deal. And, and it is true that, you know, there is a home court advantage when it comes to officiating in the NBA. And, you know, this is, been quantified, I think, in a few different ways, and and it's not really looked at as a as a problem in the league, but um, I, some people could argue it is. No one really cares, but it is a big deal. I mean, I think it's it's something like you know seven points a game or something. Like it's it's big, you know. And on top of the officiating, you have just the Sixers who tend to like basically get up more for home games. They're you know seem to bring more energy at home. They they respond really well. To, to playing home games, you know, they, I don't know if it's just that they're so used to it um, because I know, you know, it's been talked about by plenty of athletes that some people think it's, this is a tough place to play, but um, you know, Joel's talked about it in the, in the sense that, you know, he thinks that, you know, it's great to have that, the energy that he really loves playing in the, in the, in the Wells Fargo center. And uh, even, you know, going back to last season, Brett talked about how having to be in the bubble, you know, they asked him like, you think it's more of an advantage or a disadvantage because you know you're not playing those road games and the, they were terrible on the road last year and his answer was i think it's a huge disadvantage we don't get to play any games at the wells fargo center right so i i think i think it matters you know one game in a seven game series is huge you know i yeah. don't that everyone knows that it's a big deal so 
I think that, you know, that they may or may not have home court if they get to the finals. It depends who comes out of the West, but just to, just to have it through the East, to have it in a, in an eventual, hopefully eventual Brooklyn or Milwaukee series would be, I think, so important. So it's, it's really exciting. I did not see this coming to start the year. It's, it's really great. Just to close the loop on that, the Sixers will have home court in any series that is not played against Utah or Phoenix. Both of those teams had 50 or more wins and the Sixers had more wins than everybody else. So uh, that's, that's pretty great. Um, uh, we should talk about the Sixers defense, which they traded Josh Richardson and Al Horford for Danny Green and Seth Curry. And I think the conventional wisdom around the team was like, okay, we'll take a bit of a step back on defense, but we'll actually learn how to score points and make things easier on Simmons and Joel offensively. Well, the Sixers just had the top defensive rating in the whole NBA uh, this year. They were at number two for a long time. And then just this week, they overtook the Lakers for number one, which is like pretty much incredibly important, especially when you think about in today's NBA, if your best player is a post player and is a center, you better have an elite defense. And they just haven't, you know, in these last few years when they've really needed to. Like last year, I think they were sixth or something with, and with their offense, it just wasn't good enough. So um, what do you attribute the leap in defense to? My answer would kind of be, you know, Danny Green's a good defender. Matisse took a big leap. Simmons was just as great as he was the previous year, if not better. But for me, it was like Joel was really engaged this year when I thought last year he was bummed out a lot of the time and sort of load managing in games, worried about injury. And I thought that he just, he really brought it on both ends for a lot of, uh, a lot of this year. So, uh, Dan, what, what would you attribute this leap in defense to and how important do you think that is for a team like this? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a few of the things you said. I, I don't think that I would attribute any leap to Ben. I think Ben has been basically just as good as he's right. been, which is to say very, very good. You know, it's not, it's, I don't mean that like in an insult. I mean, like he was great last year too. And he was a right. big part of why they were six last year. Um, I think I, I agree. Joel has been very engaged. I think Danny Green was a great pickup. Matisse has taken a huge step forward, um, including defensively. I think Tobias has been even better than he was. A lot of the mm-hmm. bench, I mean, I think having Dwight Howard has been helpful. He's not, you know, an incredible defender, but he can, you know, block some shots. He grabs rebounds, which I think is big. He's a great rebounder, you know, limiting second possessions. Um, I think that uh, Tobias has been, has been, but did I just say that? Did I, say, did I just say Tobias? Yes, you did. Well, I'm thinking about him too. Oh, I, here's what I wanted to say. <laughs> Tobias took a step forward, but I wanted to say also, I think Furkan took a big step forward and yeah. he's been a big part of the rotation. Um, that's where my train of thought got all messed mm-hmm. up. Um, and I think just in general, having, you know, in, as Brett Brown would have said, if you were still here, you know, their, their spirit has been very high this year. Um, and I feel like we recognize that most, you know, as fans who want to see like a watchable game that isn't like painful and in the high nineties when the final score uh, is, is all done. We see that on offense, you know, they're scoring more points, but it's a big deal on defense too, you know, to have the energy and the will to be engaged the entire, you know, 48 minute game to have all the guys buying in in that way. 
I think that's pretty huge. And I think yeah, that, yeah. you know, when people talk about, you know, the vibes on the team that definitely manifests on that end of the floor. Emily, what about you? How, what would you sort of attribute this to and, uh, and uh, how important would you say it is for this sort of team? As far as attributing it to something, if you think about last season, you had these like black holes on defense, Burkhan kind of being one of them where mm-hmm. you were just like, he can outplay defense. And I don't think that we really had that this year. Like Dan said, like everyone took a step, a step forward and they're, or, you know, stayed, if they were a good defender, kind of stayed consistent. But I don't feel as though there's really anyone on this team right now where it's like, you have got to put someone them on someone terrible because they can't defend. Like the only thing they can do is shoot three pointers, which is kind of where Furkan was last year. He has like, his hands are like, he's in like constant motion and like hustling when he's on the court now in defense. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if doc told him to do it. I don't know if he's been watching Joel. I don't know, but I like it and I hope he keeps doing it. Um, So yeah, I think that, just having more people consistently defending at a passable level has helped us make the leap. Not that everyone's become an elite defender, but everyone Mm -hmm. has become a competent defender, I think, or close to it has just helped as a whole. And of course, having the number number one defensive rating and having a good defensive team can't hurt. It's great. And especially since we're scoring the ball and the offense is better this year and it makes more sense. It can only be good right yeah I um I think that people assume probably and I think I definitely did that Seth Curry is a really bad defender he's he's not like he's fine you like the Sixers will not let him get sort of stuck on a on a great offensive scorer for too long but he's really not a disaster he knows where to be and um I've been pleasantly surprised that he's been okay on defense and, and honestly decent more than okay um, the rest of the Eastern seeding is not all the way decided as the seven and eight seed have to go through the uh, play in tournament, but it goes Sixers are first, then Brooklyn secure the second seed, then Milwaukee at third, the Knicks and the Hawks in four or five and number six is Miami. I wanted to ask you guys about on Saturday, there was this interesting thing where Milwaukee was playing Miami and you know, Milwaukee could, you know, potentially but unlikely get the second seed at that point. And if they beat Miami, they would basically lock themselves into a 3-6 matchup with Miami, um, a team that just sent them home in the bubble last year. How would you guys have wanted the Sixers to handle that? If you were the Bucks playing the Heat, like, would you have wanted to rest everybody and hopefully let Miami win that game so they get it to four or five and you avoid them? Or do you think that's like bad juju? Like, how would you have hand? Because, like, as, as a not Milwaukee fan, I'm thinking, get out of that. Don't be in that series. Like, I would pick Milwaukee, but still, I'd rather not do that matchup if I don't have to. Um, but if I was their fan, I would feel like, boy, it's kind of lame to just like be like, we're so scared of this team that we're going to let them beat us down the stretch. Emily, what would you do or what would you want if you were a Milwaukee fan in that scenario? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's kind of lame to to be like, we're afraid of this team that's a lower seed than us. We don't want to play them in a series, so we're going to let them win a game. And it's not like 
to get out of the series, you had to win the game. Like you're going to let another team beat you. So you don't have to play them. And I think it would just anger the sports gods and Mm -hmm. would end up like, they would end up like, I don't know, cursing you is that what they do cursing you to, and you would lose in like the first round. I just believe in weird sports karma. And I think it would be bad. Um, So I'm glad Milwaukee, you know, did what they did and, kept us from having to play the heat in the second <laughs> <laughs> yeah that too that too uh, what would you do if you were or what would you have wanted if you were a uh, Bucks fan in that moment yeah I mean I think that they were actually locked in to the second seat at that point and so because Brooklyn had won earlier in the day and I think that the locked third box seat. In, sorry the third seat because yeah. Brooklyn was locked into the second um, I would have rested my guys. I would have, I would, I would have, I would have rested him. I, I don't really care. I think that there's probably something to be said for, um, you know, this, I, this idea that like, you know, we want to get ourselves some confidence, just beat the team we're about to play um, something like that. But at a certain point, right. Some teams are, are better than their seed and some teams match up with you well. And um you know, Milwaukee wasn't moving from the three. The Sixers did it tonight. I mean, they did it with one game left instead of two, but they rested their guys. And, you know, Milwaukee was about to have a back-to-back. Might as well rest your guys for that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I mean, I would arrest them. I, I think they, it reminds me a lot of, like, you know, in what was this, 2011, the Phillies, when they swept, they swept the Braves that put the Cardinals in the playoffs, and the Phillies ended up playing the Cardinals first round. And the Phillies killed the Braves all year. And they stunk against the Cardinals all year. And I was at game five of that series, you know, first round of MLB playoffs, five game series. And the Phillies lost one, nothing. Ryan Howard tore his Achilles last play. I was there. One of the worst games I've ever seen in person. It was horrible. And I think that reminds me of that. Like you're setting yourself up to play a team that plays you tough when you don't have to, you're doing it, I guess, like, you know, out of some principle or just, you know, the Bucks love to try hard when they don't need to, like Giannis in the All-Star game. But, like, it's just, to me, if you're locked into a seed, you already have a, a good excuse to rest your guys. It's not like, you know, it, it's not like it's like, oh, my God, like the the Clippers and the Nuggets were basically, like, vying to be the four instead of the three because you put off playing the, the Lakers and the, you know, whoever else longer. And, and, you know, in that case, you, you know, you make an argument that like, okay, like this is very clearly about who you play. Then now you're offending who you played and they're all riled up to play you. You know, I think this is different though, because, you know, you do have that element of like, you're, you're playing the tougher team, but you also, you're locked into your seed. So why risk Giannis getting hurt in the last two games? Why risk Middleton or Holiday getting hurt in the last two games when it doesn't make a difference? So I, I would have sat my guys. I think that, you know, I would have done it anyway. I would have done what the Clippers are doing, which is like basically try to get the four. But I 100% in this case, when you have a built-in excuse, when you can say to the media, oh, it's not about, you know, it's not about we wanted to play, you know, the Knicks. It's nothing against the Knicks. We were just resting our guys. I would I would have 100% done that. Um, so as far as the standings now, um the Celtics are at seven, the Wizards are at eight, and then it is uh, Charlotte and Indiana at 10 and 11 in some order. I don't have it in front of me, but um, I wanted to get how you guys would rank 
wanting to play from those four teams because one of those four is going to be the Sixers matchup uh, in the one eight series, the first round. Um, Emily, you've got Indiana, Washington, Boston, Charlotte. Rank them from one to four in terms of wanting to play them to not wanting to play them. So four is the team you least want to play. Okay. So I'll put the Pacers at four, um, partially because we just lost to them, partially because they have a lot of hustle and they mm. don't stop. I they I think they're frustrating and don't really want to play them. I don't think we would lose any of these series, by the way. Me neither. Caveat, yeah. I just don't. Um right. then I would put so at least want to play them. Then probably the Wizards because of Beal and Westbrook. They could just go off for seven straight games or for however many and you're screwed and put up like 90 points between the two of them. Um, then the Celtics, just because I don't think the Celtics are good this year. I don't think we'd have any problem with them, but there's weird rivalry and juju between the Sixers and the Celtics and weird things happen when the Sixers go up to Boston and vice versa. And I don't want any part of it. And then lastly, the Hornets, so the 10 seed, they don't really have anyone that scares me. And I'm not worried about them, really. Yeah. Um, I would go, the team I'd most like to play, I agree, is Charlotte. I, there's a bunch of guys I like there, but I think they're young and they're just not very good. Then I would say Indiana. Then I would say Boston. Only, only The only reason, you know, Boston Jalen Brown is out now and they just haven't had a good year and sort of look like they're sort of limping to the finish line. I just like to avoid stars if we can. So, you know, Tatum is great. And I, if we can avoid them, I'd like to, again, I think they'd beat any of these teams. And then Washington's just so hot, you know, at, at the end of the year when so many teams have been not trying, Washington tried super hard and got into the play in and positioned themselves as the eight seed. So, you know, again, I, I think that the Sixers would be fine in any of them, but if I could avoid one, it would be the hottest team. Uh, Dan, what about you? How would you rank them? Yeah, mine's a little different than, than your guys. Um, I would say I would at least want to play Washington. Um, mm -hmm. I still think the Sixers win in like at the very most five in that series. Right. But um, I think they're frustrating in a way that it's like, like Westbrook's always frustrated me, you know, when we play that triple overtime game, you know, it's just like, oh, my, so, so annoying to play against and not in a way where it's like, it's not like a rivalry like the Celtics where if you win, it's like, oh, what a great win. Let me go like talk shit to their fans. Like it's not a rivalry in that way. They're just annoying. You know, like they're just frustrating to like Westbrook's frustrating to play. Beal's a solid player. Like they've, they've been hot. They had have them last. Um, I'll put Indiana as my three, my next to last team I'd want to play. Um, yeah. I mean, just basically to Emily's point, we just lost to them. They, they play us tough. We're not losing to them in, in a series, but like, Again, like you know, just kind of annoying. Um, I'll say next is Charlotte. I think I would really enjoy a Charlotte series. Um, I think that it would be a lot of fun because I like some of the young guys that Charlotte has, and I would love to get to see them in the playoffs. Um, you know, I'll watch a lot of non Sixers games in the playoffs because they're all on national TV and it's fun to watch, but I won't see all of them. 
And Charlotte's a team I would like to see more of, and I'm also confident the Sixers would win. So I'd be really excited to watch that series where it's like, I get to see LaMelo in the playoffs. I get to see Miles Bridges in the playoffs, but also I get to see my team beat them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the team I'd most want to play is Boston, um, just because I'm very confident we would win and it'd be so satisfying to win. And I know that, you know, there's some risk there, which, and the risk is like, if somehow we lost that series, it would be insanely embarrassing. It would be just the worst, but I'm confident we would win it. And that's why I have them so high as a team I'd want to win, because, you know, if they're going to talk all the stuff they talked last year, when our second best player was out and they swept us, if we sweep them this year without their second best player, there is no excuse they have. They, they should be sparing nothing. They were the seventh seed. They were worse than we were last year. They were the seventh seed in the worst conference. We were the sixth seed in a better, better version of the Eastern Conference. And so I would love to play that series. I think it's, it would be in, you know, not that it's, that it, no one cares what I think. It's not like it's my choice, but it would be, if I got to pick, it would be worth the, worth the risk to take the chance to get to stomp Boston. I want it so bad. I love playing Boston, but every time I can remember us playing Boston, we've lost badly in the series. And I would love to see us beat them. It would just be the best. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, one of the last things we can do on this pod is it's our last regular season pod is we can grade the Sixers. Um, you know, we're going on about 50 minutes here. So let's, I'm going to group some of the end of the bench guys and we can we'll go to each one of us and we can talk about whoever you want um, and, you know, provide a grade for how they did um, in your eyes. So let's start with Gary Clark, of course, hold for applause, Gary Clark, Isaiah Joe, um, Paul Reed, Anthony Tolliver and Rajon Tucker. This for me is an A plus. I love all these guys. I, I just like, Except for Gary Clark, who I don't know yet, um, Anthony Tolliver, who I think is 80 years old. He looks so old. It's unbelievable. He looks a lot older than he actually is. Yeah. He looks so old. My God. Um, oh, my God. He doesn't look, he doesn't look dead. He just looks old. There's He's something like about him. He just Dwight. He looks a lot older than Dwight. He really yeah. does. Well, Dwight. Dwight looks, I think part of the reason Dwight looks so young is he's just like in ridiculous shape. Like, like you're watching like professional athletes, like grueling sport. They're all in amazing shape. And Dwight still stands out at age 37 as being in better Truly. shape than everyone else. It's insane. And he has an exuberance tall. for life. That yeah. really... A smile takes 10 years off for sure. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so for me, this is an A+. I love these guys. Rayshon Tucker is great. He's uh, highly attractive. Bebo Paul came on the podcast. I would sign him to a lifetime contract. I also think he's like legit going to be a decent player and like a rotation guy. Isaiah Joe, I could super see taking Korkmaz's minutes next year when Korkmaz gets maxed out someplace. Um, I love these guys. I, I think they're great. And I have just really enjoyed the end of the bench guys, especially since the trade deadline. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. 
Dan, what is your grade for this crop of fellows? Well, I guess, you know, I give them an A total. If I could real quick just say, I refuse to grade Tolliver. I refuse to grade um, Gary Clark because they have not played here long enough. And they're, they, I just, I wow. can't give them a grade. Um, Honorable move. Paul Reed, easy A plus, not just because he came on the bod. He's just fantastic. I love watching him play. He's, he's similar to Dwight in that I absolutely love watching him play and don't care about things he has to get better at because he's so enjoyable to watch. Um, I would give Isaiah Joe, I guess, you know, a B, which I think is a nice grade. I think he's, he doesn't look like he's really that close to contributing, but I could definitely see it someday. So for second round value, I mean, the fact that you can see the tools are there, I think that's really important. And then who is the fifth guy in this? Rajon. Rajon Tucker. Yes. Love Rajon Tucker. He, Cost literally nothing to get him, not even late second round pick draft capital, literally nothing. I'll give him an A because every time I, he comes in, I look at him and I think he can play. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want him in the playoff rotation, obviously. We have a lot of great players ahead of him, but he's he's good out there. And it's, it's funny seeing, like, guys that are on the Sixers now who I think, you know, don't even play and rightfully don't because there's lots of good players ahead of him. But I think in years past, I'd be like, please give him a shot because everyone they have playing is terrible. And I think Tucker looks like he could play on a team. So I'll give him an A because I think he's, he's played well in his minutes. I think Tucker's all muscly and he dunks and defense. He's great. I love him. Emily, uh, what's your grade for this, this group of guys? Yeah, I would give them a solid A. I obviously everything you said about B-Ball Paul, Rajon Tucker, I think next year we should start a petition. I think Harrison tweeted it out to get him in the dunk contest, considering the caliber mm-hmm. of player. Not that he's a bad player, but you don't need to be a star to be in the dunk contest. And I think he could hold his own. He is can jump really high. Um, and he has, he, cool, tonight. he has cool hair. He's fun. Definitely a good dunk contest contender. So I think we should make that one of our missions next year around all-star times, just kind mm-hmm. of get that going. File that away. Um, <laughs> yeah, love them. Love Isaiah Joe. He took 10 threes tonight. Just keep jacking them up. Just keep mm-hmm. doing it. It's great. I love it. Um, yeah. Um, last thing on Rajon Tucker, selfishly, not for nothing, feels like somebody we could get on here. You know, maybe might be able to get him in here. Um, we'll see. Uh, to bring the mood down, Mike Scott, uh, let's go to him. Uh, it's tough. It, every, everybody seems to like him. And I love that whenever there's a near fight, Mike is right in the middle of it. I think it's important to have a guy like that. I think we paid him $5 million this year, which is really hard because he can't do anything um, out there. And the only times he plays is because he's tall-ish, you know? Like, I don't really understand. Um, all in all, I think he was a, he was a – Sixers, that was nice to have here, but this year was pretty tough, especially for the number we paid him. I think a, a D or an, a, a D is what I'll give Mike, and it's not an F because I think he's a a, a value add to the locker room and to uh, the fights. Emily, what do you give Mike Scott? Yeah, I would say I'll say a C minus because, like you said, I think. Mike's time in the NBA is is coming to a close sooner rather than later. And I think that 
he adds value to a team in the locker room and with the young guys. And so since we have a lot of young guys that we're actually trying to, to groom within the system instead of just accumulate and trade, I think that he adds value off the court that we may not be seeing. Um, I know a lot of guys mention him as someone who's worked with them, like taking him them under his wing. And I think that that is a valuable thing to the team. That's like half kind of middle vets. And then, there's a lot of young guys that are coming up. So, yeah. 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 I was actually going to give him C minus as well for the same reasoning as Emily um, and basically you. Um, I do think there's a lot of value in, you know, he's, what he's brought to the locker room and, and, you know, everyone talks highly of him as a teammate, which I do think is a big deal. Um, and he, and, you know, it seems like he has taken the time and helped the young guys. And so for that reason, you know, I'm not going to give him an absolute F, but in terms of on the court, I mean, he's been an F. I think, yeah. and it's not even, you know, I agree, you know, Emily made the point, you know, his times in the NBA is kind of coming to an end. He was not always this bad. Um, and, and it's just tough. I mean, I think that he gets overshadowed because, you know, as good as Tobias played this year, the contract is still looking bad. It's not looking like quite the disaster it once was, but you still wouldn't give him all of that money. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, the Horford contract as, as well, which was just like completely disastrous and, upset Joel and all of that. Um, and, you know, those two moves rightfully, you know, take the focus of like what the bad moves were that summer. And that those are what you'll always think of that summer, but giving that, you know, cap exception to Mike Scott was really bad. They could have gotten a nice piece and they got a guy who is really looking like a not an NBA player at this point. Um, and that's, um, that's, you know, it's unfortunate. It, it's, you know, it's like an underrated bad move in what was just a horrible off season. Um, so yeah. He's been terrible in the court. I mean, but I, I, I think there's a lot of value in the, as long as doc doesn't play him, my goodness, if he, if he plays in the playoffs, I'm changing this to an F. Yeah. If, if he gets zero playoff minutes, I agree with Emily. I'll give the C minus. Cause I think that he's a great guy to have in the locker room. Furkan Korkmaz, um, I think, started the year super cold from three, um, but he picked it up in, I think, the second half of the year. Um, I, he's a, I think he's helpful. I think that his defense is much better this year. I, I would give him a B. I think that he, like, did a fine job and would likely play in the playoffs, and um, I don't worry about him getting murdered on defense, and uh, I usually think when he's shooting, it's going in. So what about you, Dan? Yeah, I'll give Furkan a B plus, maybe even A minus. I think Furkan was, you know, especially later in the year. I mean, yeah, he started off cold. I think he was pretty impressive. I think, you know, it's basically been the last couple of years where it's like Furkan's on this team, but I don't expect him to play or I don't want him to play. And he's, you know, found himself a spot for, you know, his whole time here. And I was super impressed by his defense this year. There there were a few plays when I was watching the game and – I look up and I was like, oh, Ben just made a nice play. You know, if I'm like, you know, to talking to someone, looking at the TV, oh, nice steal, Ben. I see someone going down and obviously he doesn't have like the transition speed and, and ball handling skills Ben has. And so it's like pretty clearly not Ben right away. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, like Furcon with like a great steal, like really like made a great play on defense to, to steal the ball. I was really impressed. He, he ended up shooting the ball well. I think that he's, you know, offensively fine, defensively fine. He's a guy who, if he gets playoff minutes, okay. You know, if Doc feels like, you know, that's a good matchup for him or, 
you know, once a spark off the bench, a guy who could get hot shooting. Um, he's making not much money. Um, and so I think that, you know, he's a guy that, you know, we're lucky to have who I, I'm happy is here and will probably someone will pay him some money next year. And, and I don't, you know, necessarily expect him to be back, but I think he's had a really nice season. Emily. I weirdly want to give him a, like a B minus, which seems really low and harsh. I don't know if I'm grading on a curve and I only have so many B pluses and A's that I'm like thinking of giving, but what Dan said is, you know, shooting fine, defense fine. He is just fine. And to me, that's mm-hmm. like a B minus range. Not that I expect him to be much more than that. And for what he is in his contract, it's all fine. But in comparison to other players on the team, it's not quite as high and as much. And I do think he'll get a contract in the off season. I don't think he'll be here. I think someone will pay him more than we will. And I'm happy for him, but yeah. yeah. Um, Tyrese Maxey uh, had a great night tonight and started the year great and then went into a bit of a lull and was completely out of the rotation at one point and was making a lot of rookie mistakes. And then just seemed like he Im- improved so much during the season, which like never happens, especially for 21st overall picks who and he was a freshman and came out and uh I think he's great I like I'm super confident in him being a really good player hopefully that's here maybe not but uh, I'm thrilled with with Tyrese and uh he's really good looking I give him an A uh Emily what do you give him so I give him a B if he had I don't I think we're grading a different criteria if he had Emily's always so negative on the Sixers. I just can't oh, take it. That's what everybody says. <laughs> uh, wow. Wow. Um, no, like if he had cracked the rotation more or was a real contributing member of the rotation, I would have maybe said he was an A. And I think watching him at the beginning of the season, we really thought that he would, you know, get real rotation minutes but that middle chunk of the season where he kind of fell off and he's getting back there now. So I think that shows a lot of growth and potential for next season and moving on. But I would say like solid, solid B. Dan. I'm going to give him an A. Um, I think that, wow. you know, 21st pick <laughs> as much as, you know, I feel like expectations for Maxi were pretty high. And a lot of that is because everyone we know loved him. You know, everyone we know who we trust for our draft stuff love Max. Right. But when it comes down to it, he went 21st. You know, there were 20 guys taken ahead of him who the guys who do this full time, you know, full time jobs liked better. <laughs> um, and, you know, there was even a point where, you know, the Raptors could have traded for him and chose not to. They chose to have. Valerie play nine games and then get eliminated from the playoffs instead of trading for Tyrese Maxey. They thought that low of him. Yeah, it's weird, but, but that's how low these other teams were on him. And I think, you know, from that perspective, from the fact that we got him at, you know, the back end of the first round and he's, he's been great. And yeah, he's had spots where he wasn't, you know, necessarily looking like a ready to be a rotation player. And you kind of expect that from a rookie who's not taken in the top 10, um, you deal with that. He's 20, you know, he's not, he's not Matisse. Matisse came in, he was like 
you know, 22, about to turn 23. That's not Maxi. Maxi was a freshman and came out. So um, I think that he's shown a lot of potential. I think he'll be a really solid starter someday. You know, I, I don't have, I have very little doubt that he'll be a solid NBA player. You see it in him. He's, he clearly has it. Um, and so for that reason, I, I give him an A. I think he had a really solid rookie year. Um, on other on teams that aren't the Sixers, I think to kind of address Emily's knock against him, which is fair. I mean, it's not like um, it's not like I expect him to be, you know, a, a reason they're winning rounds in the playoffs or anything. Um, but I think to kind of address that concern, I think on another team that isn't and the Sixers aren't super deep at guard, but I do think they have a, a fairly deep bench, especially after getting Hill. Um, I think Maxie's playing every game on other teams on war on worst. Like you look at that magic team, Maxie's easily a regular rotation member. Yeah. And he yeah. just happened to go later first round. He's on a, on more of a contender, but I think that um, he had a really nice rookie year. Um, George Hill might just have to be an incomplete. Um, you know, he, I think he's played fine. Um, I think that the whole thing will be sort of be judged by um how he plays in the playoffs. I think he's going to play a lot in the playoffs and hopefully, you know, he continues to fit well. I think that he's going to be completely competent and good. And and I think I'm happy that we have him, especially as a $11 million option for next year, which could be extremely valuable in terms of trades or just has to have another guy on the bench. Do you guys have a grade for him or do you agree with the incomplete? Incomplete for me. Um, yeah, I agree. Otherwise, I'll probably just grade him too low, and everyone will be mad at me. Oh, come on. Let's Emily thinks he's an F minus. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Matisse Thibault. Um, interesting year. He he scored three points a game, which I just think is sort of funny because he's playing like twenty minutes a game. Um, still can't really do a ton on offense, although I think he's less of a liability than he was at the beginning of the year when he really looked lost. And started the year with an injury and was out of the rotation to begin. And then his defense was just incredible this year to the point where I would be surprised if he's not on an all-defense team, despite only playing 20 minutes a game. I think he's going to matter a lot in the playoffs, especially against a you know potential Brooklyn or Milwaukee. I think that uh, he's just going to be super, super important. And the leap that he made from like being flashy but inconsistent and sort of unreliable to being extremely consistent and like put him on Devin Booker for a whole game is just like super important so I would go B plus um you know just because of the offense stuff that I would like to see improve but um yeah that's what I would say Dan what do you have for Matisse I'll give Matisse an A minus I mean I think coming into the year all of us had extremely low expectations for Matisse this year he wasn't in the rotation to start the year um, and none of us were mad about that. Um, we wouldn't have had him in either, I believe, um, when we talked about it. So, you know, the fact that he worked his way in and didn't just kind of stick around, but is at this point a guy who absolutely has to be part of the playoff rotation. I mean, you're not winning without him. But that defense, um, he's he's become – I think, you know, he was always – we talked about this. He was a fine defender. He was a good, great defender for a rookie. He was a good defender who – kind of got taken advantage of against bigger guys, against more skilled guys. He really struggled. And this year you don't see any of that. You see he's been consistent. He's been making great plays. Um, I think I think there's a real argument that, that Ben isn't even the best perimeter defender on the team. And that's, you know, not a not – I mean, you can call him one and two in the league if you want, and, and right. that's fine with me. 
but I think there's just Matisse has been so good. Then um, this—I don't mean that as a knock on on either of them to compare them. I think it's a compliment to both of them to compare them. Um, he's been fantastic. I, I agree that you know, despite the fact that he's, you know, you don't really expect him to score points. He's been less of a liability on offense. Mm-hmm. He's he looks like you know he knows what he's doing at least, even though he's not super skilled on that end of the floor. Um, he's certainly playable. You know, it's not like you know you need him in on defense or the defense collapses but you can't have him in on the offense because then offense collapses. You know, he's boosting the defense without, I don't think, unless you have him with like Ben and Dwight and no one can shoot the ball. In, in most lineups, he's not dragging down the offense. So I, yeah. I, I would give him, a, and it would probably be an A if, if he had been in the rotation to start the year. I think he had a great year. What about you, Emily? Yeah, I would say an A- minus for a lot of the same reasons that Dan did. I just think that his defense is so good and when you're a player that matters that much to a team in regards to winning in the playoffs I think that as a second year player that you have to give him a good grade that reflects that plus he was dancing to here come the Sixers at the end of the game tonight (laughs) and it was really cute so a minus um uh Dwight Howard Emily you start this one I'm gonna give Dwight Howard not taking into account his like very cheap contract a solid B um he's if you take into the the contract into account I think it's higher but just his play he's a great he's the best backup center Joel's ever had he has tons of rebounds and blocks I think that the knocks on Dwight are the you know the technical fouls and the fouling and things like that where you can't necessarily rely on him game in and game out if you know Joel is hurt and he's getting technicals and then suspended for games there's a whole nother thing I think his vibes are great his smile is great I love having him with the frosty freeze out all that stuff so I'm just going to say solid B for Dwight um and that's a good grade a B is not bad (laughs) you're like preemptively defending it um Dan uh, you've you've been very outspoken as a fan of Dwight. Uh, what what would you grade him this year? Yeah, I, I would give Dwight an A. Um, I think you know the the only reason for me is not a. Pl- oh, excuse me. Oh man, my thirst dry. That was going to sound <laughs> terrible. Sorry, I just hurt everyone's ears. Um, I the only reason it's not an A plus for me even is that he's really struggled with Ben. Um, and you know some people will. I think fairly, there's a fair case that that should knock him down a lot further. But for me, um, I think that Ben has struggled with a lot of backup centers. Um, I think it's unreasonable to expect a backup center to be able to stretch the floor unless you want them to completely suck at everything else or you want to pay him $25 million a year, which is basically what you had with Horford. Um, Dwight gives you everything else you want them. I mean, and he, he, he looks, he looks okay when he shoots, but even he, he's not a floor spacer, but I think it gives you everything else. He defends. Okay. Especially in, in limited stretches, he gets so many rebounds. He's incredible rebounder, both ends of the floor. Um, he's always fun to watch, whether it's, you know, completely missing a putback or getting a tough end one, but basically no in between. Um, I think that his flaws are super entertaining as well. Um, yeah, I think he's gotten a little bit better with the fouls to end the year, but 
Uh, I thought it was really funny how often he fouled to start the year. I thought it was really funny that he got thrown out of like two straight games when we absolutely needed a center. I thought mm-hmm. it was hilarious. I know it drove people crazy. I thought it was really funny. Um, the reason I don't get mad is because, you know, Dwight was just a big part of the playoff rotation of the team who won the championship last year. He's 37. In the, when the playoffs comes around, he's going to have – I am confident he'll have the fouls under control. I know he'll have the technical fouls under control. So, you know, the things that drive people nuts a little bit besides the struggles with Simmons, um, I, I think are great. I won't get mad at them unless he actually does it when it's really important. Um, and I, I think he gives you so much that people don't really appreciate because it's kind of looked at as um, basically for Dwight, it's like, you know, Joel's not on the floor. So how can you play with Ben? And I think that's almost an unfair way to look at a guy, especially backup center, who's you're not going to find a guy who does all the things Joel does and all the things Joel does are really playing perfectly into what Ben does well. You know, Ben, Joel's like the perfect fit for Ben in that way. Um, you can't expect that from Dwight, but he's on a minimum contract. He's limiting second possessions. He's getting you second possessions. And he's just so fun. I mean, Emily mentioned the off-course stuff with the frosty freeze out. And you saw him earlier in the year, you know, taking shots after a game with Ben, not, you know, basketball shots, not alcohol shots. Um, <laughs> but they were getting shots up post-game, you know, staying late after a win. And I, I mean, I think that's great. I think he's, it's so funny to see a guy who was like basically what, like, you know, arguably a top 10 center of all time and easily first ballot hall of famer. I think three time defensive player of the year, like completely settle into the role of like a, just happy to be on the floor guy. And he literally, I mean that literally like always looks so happy to be on the floor, always smiling. Um, I just think he's, he's, you know, he's so much fun to watch. He's easily an A for me. He's one of my highlights of the season. Um. Yeah, I'm in the middle of you guys. I'll give him a B plus. I love him. I think he's great. I think he's hilarious. Uh, he fouls the shit out of everyone. Uh, I think he protects the ring really well. He's a great rebounder. Great for vibes. Um, the fouling, you know, is a little much for me. I wish he would set less, like, blatantly moving screens. Um but I think he's a giant plus for this team and has, has been extremely valuable. Grouping two guys together, Danny Green, Seth Curry. Um, these are the new additions, um, the sort of role player starters that the Sixers added. Dan, what do you give those two guys as a collective? Oh, as a collective, I'll say A, um, but I would probably split it up more into maybe a collective, I'll say A minus. Um, I think uh, Seth Curry's probably could be a plus. And oh man, excuse me, that's horrible. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get so many complaints about that. Oh, to it. Yeah. Anyway, and I'd probably give Danny Green um, an A plus. Um, I know he was cold to start the year. Uh, wasn't super impressive defensively, and was missing shots to start the year. But that didn't last that long. And especially, you know, coming down end of the year has been fantastic, both ends of the floor. Um, he can't dribble, but it just kind of reminds me of Covington. It's great. I don't really care. Um, I don't need him to dribble. Uh, he's, you know, he, uh, Emily, I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but got to love the post game party. Um, I love that he's, you know, driving, you know, a real strong work ethic with the guys on the team. Not that they don't have it naturally, but I think it's mm. a great thing to bring guys together. Um, and to, and to have like that kind of culture of, of working hard and, and making it fun. I think that's, you know, awesome. And all good teams need someone like that. 
Um, and, and Seth's been good, you know, Seth, especially, you know, lately has played well. Um, a B plus is, is not meant as an insult. I don't think he's as good as green. I think green's our fourth best player, but, um, but I'm glad we have Seth. I couldn't stand. He seemed very cool. Could not stand watching Josh Richardson play basketball though. Oh, could not stand it. And Seth is not like that. I enjoy watching Seth. He's a great shooter. I wish he shot more. If he shot more, maybe he'd have an A season. I'm giving him a B plus. Yeah, I you know for all those reasons, I I would go A minus. Probably the only thing really standing in the way has been Seth's hesitancy at times to shoot. But um, obviously, Seth got COVID this year and had to work his way back from that. And uh, the Sixers starting lineup just beats the shit out of everyone. So you know those guys fit perfectly. And uh, yeah, Emily, what do you got for Danny and Seth? Yeah, I would say it could be plus A minus, maybe in right in the middle, which is nothing. But um, all the things you guys said, I wish Seth would shoot more because there are those times where he's so hot and he literally cannot miss. And those games are almost guaranteed wins for the Sixers because he's shooting lights out from three and can put up like 30 points. So I would like more of those games. And I think part of the reason is he doesn't take as many shots as he should. Danny Green is money from that corner three. Every time he shoots it from there, I'm convinced it's going in. And that's a nice feeling. Um, I think his defense is good. So I'll go A minus. I'll go on the higher end. I'll go A minus. Um, getting to the big three here, Tobias Harris. Um, I, you know, Tobias just so barely missed being a 50 40 90 guy uh, which is a shame i would have loved to see him be like the 10th guy ever to do that which would have been great he was great this year he was just like he made more shots from from more places than he has in previous years and uh you know he does some pick and roll stuff with doc that that has been really good i've been really happy to see him bounce back and and he needs to do it in playoffs and and you know certainly this this can change if he uh doesn't play well but i'm very confident in him i think that he's been the late game scorer for them down the stretch like against utah the sixers in overtime just gave it to him over and over and he got a bucket and um i'm very confident when he has the ball i think his defense has gotten much better um i'm happy with tobias you know i i have an a uh for Tobias, especially all things considered coming into this one. Um, Emily, what do you have for Toby? Yeah, I'll give, I'll give Tobias an A, considering, especially considering what a rough season he had last year. Um, he just took a huge leap. Just everyone was shitting on him last year, just constantly. And it's, it's really gone away this year. Um, and like you said, I have confidence when he has the ball, he's, Another great thing about him is the way he's able to lead that second unit. Um, once, right, you know, good point. Joel comes out without, we've seen it when he's out and that unit is left to their own devices, things get <laughs> bad quickly. So I want to just give him credit for, for holding that together. And a lot of times it keeps us in games or keeps, keeps us with leads. So I would say a, an A. Yeah, Tobias's numbers with the bench have been really great all year. And that like never happens on an Embiid team where somebody can carry the bench. And I think that hopefully that that sustains in playoffs. Um, and also a great locker room team guy who everybody I think is happy to follow and, and look up to. Dan, um, another good spot for an apology to Tobias. You can sort of take that and run with it. Um, what would you give him? 
I'm going to take this opportunity to not apologize, but I will give him an A or I'm probably an A. I'm between an A minus or an A. I'll give him an A. Um, I think he had a real solid year. Um, I think is a huge reason that the Sixers were as good as they were. Um, him taking a step forward. Um, I mean, you could take that same, you know, logic and say, well, why the hell didn't he do this this year? Last year, he was making all that money last year as well. And he's clearly capable of it. You know, this isn't, you know, a single breakout season. He's been good in the past. Um, a lot of people are going to blame Brett for that. Um, I, a lot of times still think about the quote where he, uh, Brett didn't know that he didn't like going lefty or something like, uh, or he, I forget is <laughs> that he, whatever it was, it was like, he was like completely, you know, they had no idea that, you know, Tobias was more comfortable, you know, in, in a certain aspect of his game. And it's like, we were like, do you guys talk to each other? Like what's going on? Um, but I think that, uh, this year has been a great year for him and, because of that, it's been a great year for the Sixers. Like oh, everything you guys said, um, if he is who he was last year, they're not sniffing the one seed. Um, the East stunk this year, but they're probably pretty comfortably the three. Um, they're probably quite a few games back in Milwaukee and still up on the Knicks. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that it's probably an A season for Tobias and I hope he can, I hope he can keep up. He has played really well and I hope he can keep it up in the playoffs because they need him. They absolutely need him. Um, on to Ben Simmons. Um, this is a tough one. Um, Cause you know, we've had the Ben conversation a thousand times, but um, I, I think I would go B minus for Ben. I think he's the best defender like multi-positional defender in the league. I think that I would love him to get defensive player of the year. I, I would sort of be surprised if he did, but I would love that to happen. But he's like, without a doubt, first team all defense. Um, his numbers are down a little bit. And, you know, the reason to dock him is that he just doesn't look any different offensively. And I was hoping that, you know, he would. But again, he's like incredibly important, played great defense. And, and I think that, Sixers need him and I think if he plays really well they can win it all so B minus for me for Ben um Dan what do you give him yeah I'll give him C plus um this is basically in relation to expectations right Um, I thought he was Ben was really good last year um and I know it's it gets frustrating for me people love to make excuses for Ben Uh, a lot of them quote the expensive Dwight which also makes me upset because I love Dwight um but I think that at a certain point and he's still young and he's already a great player. And there's, there's nothing, you know, Ben can never get better. And he's still a guy that, you know, who, who you appreciate for, for what he does. But I mean, I, I just think about like everyone who loves to defend Ben so much and, and that's fine. You know, you're, you're, you know, you should, you know, he's on your team, you do it, you defend your guys. Um, But like if he was on another team, if he was on the jazz the stuff Sixers fans would say about him. And I don't, I don't even care about shooting. I'm so over him shooting. I don't even want him to shoot because, I mean, I look at Giannis shooting and I feel like every time he shoots, it's just a disaster. And Ben shouldn't do that. Um, but if, if, an, if a guy on another team was a three-time All-Star and, you know, was a rival of any kind to the Sixers, <laughs> the stuff Sixers fans would say, if the fans vehemently defended him as he averaged a career low in points, a career low in assists, a career low in rebounds, tied his career low in blocks, and had his second to career low season in steals 
which was below his career average, which was half a steal per game less than last year. You know, and, you know, you could say, oh, you don't care about counting stats. Well, all the advanced stats show him worse than last year as well. And he's, you know, 24, 20, about to turn 25 or just, you know, maybe just turn 25. He should be on the way up. He shouldn't be on the way down. Um, basically, everyone else on the Sixers took a big step forward this year. Um, well, that was Joel, whether that was Tobias. And people want to give credit to Doc. I'm fine if you want to give a good bit of the credit to Doc. Um, in addition to just these guys probably working hard in, you know, in their short offseason. But I, I, I don't see how you just completely excuse that. I think that, you know, he's a C-plus in the sense that he's still a very, very good player. Um, he's, you know, one of the best defenders in the league. And he's, it's not like he's like a disaster on offense that you can't have on the floor or anything. Um, you know, he's, he's a good offensive player and he's, he's a, I think, good, not great passer, um, a, an okay cr like creator. And he's has some games where he can really get his points. He had a great, one great stretch that was, you know, sandwiched by two pretty bad stretches. Um, to me, can't do it. Um, and people, I know a lot of times want to give him a pass. I, I, I can't, I, I, I hope he plays great in the playoffs. Cause yeah. like I said, with Tobias, the Sixers need Ben too. The Sixers probably need Ben more. Um, they need to have the great Ben against the great teams. And I, you know, I, I'm not writing him off. I'm not saying I don't believe in him. I I've seen him do it. I've seen him have great stretches and I hope a great stretch comes at the right time, but to grade the regular season as a whole, it's, it's a C plus to me. Um, I there's is all the things I said, and then I'll also add on real quick, just the, if you look at the lineup stats, um, there's too many lineups where it's like, if you add Ben in, the lineup's worse than the, the lineup with ben, ben without it. And Ben makes, you know, the most important lineups better. I will give him that. You know, Ben makes Joel better. 100%, 100% believe that. But, um, you know, the, the excuses that are always the blame, blame Dwight, blame Matisse, you know, at some point, you know, Ben is a star, but, and, and when people talk about, you know, Ben is a point guard, oh, he's not scoring, but he makes his teammates better. And he makes some of his teammates better. I want to see him make all of his teammates better. Um, and I, I don't feel like we saw that this year. I think there were lineups where Ben really cluttered things and not just because of the shooting, but just because of, you know, there were times when he didn't look to score enough in general or not even score, but didn't even look to, to create enough. Um, so I'm going to go C plus, but I, I, Still think Ben is a very good player. I, I need to see more from him in the playoffs to to really feel confident in the Sixers. And I, I think he can do it. He struggled before. I think he can figure it out. Emily, what you got? I'm going to give Ben a B plus. I think that it's just so funny that these grades are so very arbitrary. And we know that. But it's like, I think Ben is potentially one of like top two defensive player of the year. B minus like that's such a bananas thing to say in all honesty <laughs> but um I just think his problem is consistency and and our expectations for him I think that is honestly the biggest thing that's coming into your the grading um I think that you know there's two ends of the court on basketball there's offense and defense and I'm not one of the I'm it's not my thing to put all of my eggs in the offensive basket. I think he's such a great defensive player. And I think that has value because if you can hold another player, another team's best scorer to 12 points, then that helps you win. Um, that's just how it works. 
So I'm not, I hope that Ben has a great offensive stretch in the playoffs. That would really help us. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to disagree with that. But, um, and to Dan's point of, you know, Ben makes the most important lineups better. Like that's all that really matters in the playoffs is those most important lineups. If Ben isn't making Joel better in the playoffs, then we're not going anywhere. Like the playoffs, honestly, and I guess we can go into Joel. It all hinges on how he's playing. If he continues to play like he's played all season and he's the Joel that we've seen all season, then the Sixers are going to make some noise in the playoffs. If something happens and Joel has a cold stretch, it's going to get bad fast. I think that's just how this team is built around him. And I, the players that make him the best are what is most important, I think. Yeah. So that segues us into Joel, who, uh, yeah, I mean, I can start. I think he's an A+. Plus. I think he's, you know, he's probably going to be runner-up for MVP. And if he hadn't had this sort of scary knee injury, that thank God it wasn't worse, I think that he would really be right there and, you know, possibly winning the MVP. Uh, he had a great two-way year. Uh, just this is also from Sixers Adam. Uh, it was his seventh year in the NBA. Of course, he's played five because he missed the first two. Played 51 games. He scored 28 and a half points per game, uh, 10.6 rebounds, 2.8 assists, uh, 1.4 blocks, one steal, 51, 38, 85 from the field with a 63 true shooting percentage. All of those percentages uh, are career highs, uh, and so is his points per game and his steals per game. He was unbelievable. It was so fun to watch, and I can't wait to see him in the playoffs. I hope that he uh, can be just as good in the playoffs, and uh, I, it, was, it was just a joy to watch him this year. Emily? Yeah, A-plus. There's not even a doubt. Joel is everything. He... We didn't even mention it. Wore the big energy chain out tonight. Yes. On yeah. the bench. Um, looking like a king. Love to see that. Dan just told everyone that Lakers are going to be in the playing game. Love to see Is that. Is that official? Uh, the, the, if the Blazers win, the Lakers are in the play-in game, and the Blazers are up. Uh, I think my math might be off. No, my math is good. We have 23 on the Nuggets with six and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter as we record Love right it. now. Love so it. hopefully that holds. But um, <laughs> A-plus for Joel. He can never go anywhere, and I love him so much. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, easy easy A-plus. I, I think that, you know, the I kind of uh, mentioned this before on the pod, but, like, this was in the context of the like why I think that the that Harden is such a big upgrade from from Ben when we were still like talking about that trade and debating all of that and if it would happen. But um, you know the jump from like you know to to get into the top five is enormous. You know Joel's been you know a top three player this year, um, and I was saying you know in the context of Ben and Harden, you know Ben is great. Ben is top twenty or top twenty five at worst. You know and. The, the jump from that to top five is like humongous. Like, I think that that's a, that's a way bigger gap than like hundred to 25 is that like the talent level in that top five. And Joel has made a, a, a kind of leap like that, that we, you know, we had been hoping to see from him that, that everything kind of hinged on this year, really um, that, you know, he was borderline top 10 last year. 
Um, and for last year, you'd probably say he was just outside the top 10, but we, always, you know, I know we always believed he was a top 10 player. Um, and he's been, you know, I think that your top three, maybe, you know, if you want to say a top four, if you have your top tier, I'd probably, you know, he's easily top five. I think, you know, you have him and, and Jokic and LeBron and Steph and Harden. And I think all those guys are like top tier guys right now. And I think that's like a world of difference from, from where he was last year. I think that that's like just a huge leap from being a borderline top 10 guy to being a clear top five guy or top, or a top three guy. Um, that's, that's, it, it, it's almost like it's not represented by the, the number of guys he passed because so few guys are even at that level and, and the gaps between them are big. And that's why, you know, the same three guys are playing in the finals every year. Um, and Joel has finally gotten there. And I think that's just, it's, it's incredible. It, a plus, no doubt. Yeah. Um, the final thing to do on this episode, everyone knows, everyone's waiting. Emily, how did the season predictions pan out? This is our first full regular season. Thank you all for listening uh, for all this time. Um, Emily, how did it all pan out? So, I know, yeah, we've kept the people waiting on this very long episode. <laughs> um, so... Dan wins with a record of 51 and 25. It doesn't add up to the total number of games. As a reminder, we picked random all-star game things. Um, but he went two and two this week. So 51 and 25. Um, I came in second. I went three and one this week. So I had the best week at the end, but I was 48 and 20. And Steve went one and three this week to finish 43 and 33 so so this this sort of leaves us in this scenario where does Dan get a prize and for getting third place does Emily have to do something me I don't I don't what'd you say I did not get third place you got third place I'm not sure about that um (laughs) you know let us know tweet at us uh we certainly don't need critiques, but on the podcast, you can save those. But if you have ideas for what the winner can get and what the loser should do, please send them to us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, that's it. We're playoff bound. We, this is exciting. It's very exciting. Um, middle, middle of the week this week, uh, we'll definitely have an episode. It might be on locker room. It might be not on locker room. We might have a very special guest. We'll let you know about that. We're scheduling, but uh, certainly special guest very soon. And then uh, next weekend, I believe the playoffs will start. I think the Sixers are likely to start on next Saturday. So we'll have an episode for you uh, probably on Sunday uh, at some time after that. Anything else from you guys before we get out of here? Um, I'll be I'll be podcasting from North Carolina next Sunday after a day at Dollywood. So what's this? What do you mean? What's this? What's Dollywood? Uh, Dolly Parton's theme park. Dollywood. Even I knew that. Oh, I don't know this. How I mean, fun. it's in Tennessee, but I'm going to North Carolina for a week and we're driving through Dollywood and we're going to Dollywood. So. Wow. That's so fun. All right. I'm, I'm excited for you. That sounds great. Dan, will you be in Dollywood? I will not be in Dollywood. I'll be in Worcester, Pennsylvania doing nothing. Hmm. So really really fun stuff 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Emily's jealous because we have, <laughs> there's actually like some, you wouldn't know it because I'm like a 20 minute drive from Philly, but it's, there's, yeah, there's some farms around here. So wow. it should be, it should really farms. be a great time at home. That sounds very exciting. Um, great season by the Sixers, great season by us, especially. Um, lots of fun. We'll be back with you uh, in the middle of this week. And um, until then, congratulations, Dan. Good picking this year. Um, and yeah, we'll see you. Good seeing you guys. Yeah, uh, sorry for coughing, everybody. <laughs> Bye. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.